Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Thy Will Be Done. All right, so last week, if you were with us, we completed our uh, study of Paul's address to the Ephesian elders. And so um, during that message that Paul gave to those guys, uh, he, he gave them a lot of leadership lessons. Lessons that if they would just listen, right, they would just learn, they would just live out the principles that Paul was sharing with them, it would so benefit them as pastors, as leaders, as husbands, as fathers, in every area of their life, if they would just listen, learn, and live out those principles. The same thing with us today, 2,000 years later. And so if you remember from last week, when Paul was done sharing with these guys, he, he knelt down with all of them, that was his custom, and he prayed with them. Because these guys thought, hey, this is the last time we're ever going to see our mentor, our friend, they began to weep during the prayer. Afterwards, they hugged him. They kissed him. This is the impact that a true man of God has on people um, as, as Christ works in all of our hearts. And so that was last week. This week, we're picking up in chapter 21, verse 1. All right? So right now, if you're looking down at a Bible and you're looking at Acts 21.1. Can you say amen so I know you're with me? Amen. All right, so check it out. And when, Luke writes, and when we, so he and Paul, and when we had parted, in the Greek that means to tear away. That's how emotional of a scene is going on here between Paul and the Ephesian elders. And so, and when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, the island of Kos. And the next day, another island called Rhodes. And from there to Patara, verse two. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. Remember Tyre and Sidon and Phoenicia. For there, a ship, the ship, was uh, to unload its cargo. All right, so let's take a look at our map and get our geographical bearings here as Paul is wrapping up his third missionary journey. And so Paul and Luke at a pastor's conference in the uh, city of Miletus, top left part of your screen. So if you see Miletus, say amen. And they get on this little ship called the Coast Hugger. And they leave Miletus, and they, 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 they just follow the coast there, and they go down to an island called Kos. And the next day, they get up, get back on the boat. They go down to another island called Rhodes, and then over to the city of Patara. Now, in that city, they get on a much larger ship, a ship that can handle the open seas, a cargo ship. And they sail all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, Seeing the island of Cyprus on the left, not stopping there, passing by Cyprus all the way to the city of Tyre. And so from Patara to Tyre was about 400 miles. And depending on the wind um, that day or that week, it would have taken them about five or six days uh, to make that journey. And so what's happening in the Bible? Paul is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem where, get this, Trouble, trouble is waiting for him. And so why in the world was Paul so adamant to go to Jerusalem? And so you gotta understand this right here if you're ever gonna understand Acts chapter 21. 
So I want to prove to you biblically why Paul knew he had to go to Jerusalem. Number one, he knew he had to obey the Holy Spirit. Paul was adamant to go to Jerusalem because he really felt like this is the will of God. I've got to obey the will of God. All right, so where's that in the Bible? Turn left to Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Acts 19, verse 21. Luke writes, now after these events, the events in Ephesus, it says, Paul resolved in the, what's the next word? Spirit. Spirit, I really, the ESV has capital S. I really believe that's true with all my heart. I believe this is not Paul's human spirit. This is the Holy Spirit of God. And so Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to what city? Jerusalem, okay? So he knows the Lord wants me to go to Jerusalem. To further prove that, look at chapter 20 and verse 22. Chapter 20, verse 22. Paul tells the Ephesian elders, and now behold, I am going to, what city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Look at this, constrained by the Spirit. So some of your translations, bound by the Spirit. Paul felt obligated, I've got to get to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And so Paul knew, I got to obey the Holy Spirit. This is God's call in my life. Um, come what may, I'm going to Jerusalem. The second reason why is he, he wanted to celebrate, apparently, the, the Feast of Pentecost. That's in chapter 20, verse 16. All right, so take a look at that. Chapter 20, verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at, what city? Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, so Paul's a Jew. Apparently, he wants to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So he's hastening, he's hurrying to get over to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. Why? Because it's one of the big three uh, Jewish feast days in the Bible. One being Passover, right? But then if you count 50 days after Passover, you come to the feast of Pentecost. In fact, the Greek word Pentecost means 50th day. The Jews got together to celebrate the end of the grain harvest. They get together on the day of Pentecost to thank God for all of his provision, for all of his gifts, for, all, for, for the way that he takes care of them. By the way, how many of you guys are grateful for a God who takes care of us, right? This is what the Jews did in the Old Testament. They got together for Passover, it counted 50 days. They got together for Pentecost, and then later on in the year, they all got together and celebrated the Feast of, of Tabernacles. But Paul's not just a Jew. He's a Christian. And so perhaps he wanted to get to, to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost so that he could celebrate, listen to this, the birthday of the church. 24 years prior to where we are in the Bible, the Holy Spirit came down upon the believers in the church of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, bam, the church is born, the ecclesia, the bride of Christ. So maybe he wanted to go and celebrate that as well. So he wanted to obey the Holy Spirit, he wanted to celebrate Pentecost, but number three, he wanted to go to Jerusalem to testify to the gospel of, what's the word there? Grace. 
We see that in chapter 20, verse 24. So chapter 20, verse 24, he tells the Ephesian elders, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Here it is, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's like, I gotta go to Jerusalem. Paul loved Israel. He loved the Jews. He was a Jew. He, he wanted the Jews to come to Christ and be saved, to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. But he knew that so many of them had still not come to Christ. He's like, I gotta go there. I gotta tell these people that once I was lost, but now I'm found, right? Once I was blind, but now I see. He wanted to testify to the grace of God. And then finally, very interesting, he wanted to deliver a financial gift to the poor in the church of Jerusalem. And so Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. He's been collecting a financial gift from all the churches in Greece. Very interesting, all the Gentile believers in Jesus. Hear that there's people who are suffering and poor believers in Jesus in Jerusalem. And so they dig deep in their purses and wallets. They get some money and they give it to Paul and some others. And now Paul's gonna deliver this financial gift to the poor people in Jerusalem. He said this in a very famous letter that he wrote from Corinth, not too long before Acts chapter 21. We know it as Paul's letter to the Romans. And so in Romans, Paul wrote this, check it out. He said, at present, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing what to the saints? What does it say there? Bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's Greece, the churches in Greece, have been pleased. It wasn't um, difficult for them to give. It wasn't a struggle. You know, it wasn't out of restraint. God loves a cheerful giver. It says that they have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And so again, how awesome is that? That Gentile believers would give money to Jewish believers who are suffering in poverty in their time of need. Paul went on to say in Romans 15, when therefore I have completed this and delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. But Paul's like, after I drop off this money in Jerusalem to James and the church there to give to the poor people, I'm getting back on a ship. I'm heading west, and I want to go all the way to Spain. And as I'm heading to Spain, by, Paul's just such a world traveler. He's got such a heart to travel the world and share the gospel. He goes, but as I'm on my way to, to Spain, church in Rome, I'm going to stop and see you. I'm going to visit you in Rome. Question for those of you who've read the rest of Acts. Does Paul make it to Rome, yes or no? Yeah, not like he thought. <laughs> not as a free man, you know, on a cruise ship going to Rome. No, he goes in chains. And we'll see that as we continue on in our study in Acts. And by the way, did he ever make it to Spain? In Acts, Luke is silent. The story ends when Paul is under house arrest in the city of Rome. Nothing in the Bible says he ever made it to Spain, even though it does say he wants to go to Spain. And so here's what's interesting, though. For those of you who like to dig into history, we have some pretty good evidence that Paul did make a fourth missionary journey and that he did make it to Spain. 
We'll find out for sure in heaven one day. He then asked the believers in Rome, I like this, strive together with me in your what? Prayers. I wonder, do you pray for your pastor? I hope you do. (laughs) I need it. I hope you pray for me. I hope you pray for the other pastors. I hope you pray for the elders. I hope you pray for the pastors and elders' wives here at Calvary, all the leaders at Calvary, because here's what you need to know. There is a big old target on our backs, and we covet your prayers, just like Paul coveted the prayers of the Romans. He says, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service, right, the giving of this financial gift, my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And so Paul tells the believers in, in Rome, hey, pray for me that while I'm in Jerusalem, I could be delivered from the unbelieving Jews who hate me. And yeah, they hated him. They hated his guts. But also pray that the believing Jews in James' church, the little half-brother of Jesus, who are still skeptical of me, and we'll find, I'll talk more about that next week, um, but, but pray that as I give this offering, it'll kind of break down some walls and we'll be able to have sweet fellowship together that I'll be accepted by them. All right, so a lot of good knowledge, right? But we gotta apply the Bible to our lives. And so what's the application of what we just read? Well, number one, just as Paul obeyed the Spirit's leading, we need to obey the Spirit's leading. How many of you guys believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And so God had a wonderful plan for Paul's life. It included going to Jerusalem, then getting arrested, going to Rome in chains, but guess what? Do you know that Paul got to stand in a trial before Caesar Nero. And we don't know exactly what was said in that trial, but here's what I know because I know Paul. Nero heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also know historically Nero definitely rejected that. But man, what an amazing thing that Paul got to share Christ with Nero. God has a wonderful plan for your life too. I don't know if that'll include sharing Christ with presidents or kings or whatever, but it's still a wonderful plan. But you and I, we got to obey the Holy Spirit in order to get from point A to point B. The second thing I would say is just like Paul celebrated the day of Pentecost, we're free to celebrate different uh, special days as well. Don't let anybody tell you you can't celebrate Christmas. Please give me a break. (laughs) Did it it happen on December 25th? I don't know. But we can certainly celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Come on. We can celebrate Good Friday. We can celebrate Easter Sunday. We have freedom to do that. Um, Others, you know, they celebrate things like Pentecost and and, and the ascension of Jesus. Well, praise the Lord for that. Maybe we as non-denominational, non-traditional evangelicals can learn something from our, our more traditional friends. But there's nothing wrong with celebrating special days. It's a good thing. Number three, we ought to testify to the gospel of grace. And so, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you guys believe that just like people needed the Lord 2,000 years ago, people still need the Lord today? But what does that take? That takes us getting out of our comfort zones and walking through that open door that you might have this week. 
How many of you guys know that God loves everybody? How many of you guys know that God loves everybody at your workplace? You say, Pastor, you don't know my boss. <laughs> he loves your boss. And so, hey, whether it's your boss or your coworker or your neighbor or whatever, don't, don't listen, don't make a mistake and force a canned speech on someone who doesn't want to hear it. Okay, did you guys hear me just say that? If you did, go like this. Okay, don't force a canned speech on someone who doesn't want to hear it. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is develop relationships and have conversations, listen to people, and when that open door, man, tell them about Jesus and how you once were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, and now you see. We also should give to those in need. So just as Paul took a financial gift and said, here, James, this is for the poor people in your church. So we need to remember the poor as well. Here's something that's on my heart. There's a lot of Christians, they don't give a dime to the poor. Do you know that giving to the poor, remembering the poor is one of the main themes of this book? What are we doing? We need to remember the poor. And so my wife and I, we give a regular offering to this church. We always have, we always will. But above that, we, we pray about where God wants us to give offerings. And so um, one of the things that we do, we love to support the, the ministry of GVCM, which we talk so much about, Global Vision Citadel Ministries. Why? Because we believe it's a legit ministry in Haiti ministering to people who are in poverty. They need, just like the Jewish believers in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, they need help. They're poor. So what do we do? We give to that. And so I wanna encourage you to do whatever God's leading you to do. But remember the poor, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul, Luke, they get on this big cargo ship. They go over to Tyre. They land there. The, the ship's got to be unloaded. That's going to take a long time because it's a massive ship. So they got some time to kill. And so what's Paul and Luke going to do during their downtime? All right, so look at verse 4 now. Verse 4. And having sought out the, what's the word? Disciples. You guys see that in verse four? And having sought out the disciples. So they get to Tyre, they got some time to kill, and they're seeking other Christians. By the way, I want to encourage you when you go on vacation, you travel on business, if you're there over the weekend, go to calvarychapel.com, find some disciples in that town. Worship the Lord. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And so they're staying in the city of Tyre for a week. Now, this is very interesting at the end of four. And through the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, yes and amen. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem? Confusing. I'll come back to that. Verse five. And when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside of the city. Here's Paul again. This is his custom. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they, the Christians entire, returned home. Now look again at the end of verse 4. i got to talk about this. It says, and through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, they, the Christians in the city of Tyre, 
were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, the first time you read that and you compare that verse to other verses, it seems like the Holy Spirit's giving Paul mixed signals. Let me, let me remind you, turn back to chapter 20, verse 22. All right, so chapter 20, verse 22. Is the Spirit, here's the question, is this Holy Spirit telling Paul to go to Jerusalem or is the Holy Spirit saying don't go to Jerusalem? That's the question. All right, so look at chapter 20, verse 22. And now behold, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the who? Constrained by the Spirit. I'm bound by the Spirit. I'm obligated by the Spirit. I gotta go to Jerusalem. But now, in chapter 21, verse four, you got a bunch of Christians in Tyre, and they're saying, by the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. All right, so again, I ask you the question, was the Spirit giving mixed signals to Paul? The answer is no. I agree with Pastor David Guzik, a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor. He said, it would seem that the specific warning not to go up to Jerusalem, there in chapter 21, verse four, was a, you guys tell me the next two words. You see that? We gotta be careful when we say, God is saying this, God is saying that. Oh, the Lord led me to say this. Be careful. Was a human interpretation of the Holy Spirit's prophecy of the anger or the trouble that awaited Paul. In other words, all these prophecies that Paul's been getting on his way from Greece to Jerusalem, in every city, the Holy Spirit keeps warning him, there's, there's imprisonment, there's, there's affliction, there's chains, right? All of those prophecies, listen, were not prohibitive, they were preparatory. They were not prohibitive where God is saying, don't go to Jerusalem. They were preparatory saying, Hey, Paul, get ready. <laughs> there's gonna be trouble in Jerusalem. L let me give you an example. Let's say there's a godly guy, loves the Lord with all his heart, and he feels, as he's praying, he feels led to take a job in Los Angeles. There's a job, there's a company there. They've offered an interview, and so he wants to go. He books the flight. He packs his bags. He's getting ready to fly to LA the next morning. But his wife's been praying too. His decisions obviously involve her. And while she's praying, see, she senses the Holy Spirit warning her that trouble is waiting for her husband in LA. And so what does she do? She goes to her husband and she says, honey, don't go to Los Angeles. It's not God's will. I think I got a word from the Lord and he's saying that there's trouble there, there's problems there, please don't go. And what does the husband say to his wife? He says, well, honey, here's what you gotta understand. I've been praying long and hard about this and I really believe it's the Lord's will for me to go and do this interview and perhaps take this job and move all of us to LA. And so what's, what's the guy to do in this situation? Should we obey God or man? God, some of you wives are a little hesitant right there. <laughs> we should obey God. So he kisses his wife, I love you, thanks for your prayers, gets on a plane, he goes to LA, it's a great interview, they offer him the job. Everything's great, but he still remembers his wife's words. He can't shake what his wife said, and so he's on guard the whole time he's in LA. 
And sure enough, the next morning as he's going to LAX, all of a sudden out of nowhere, a perp comes with a knife. Give me all your money. But this guy's prepared. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't do anything stupid. He knows. He's ready. And so he stays calm. He loses 50 bucks, but he keeps his life. And even as the perp is running away, he says, Jesus loves you, man. Right? He gets on the plane. That, that night he gets home, tells his wife the story, thanks her for the prayer and the warning. Together they make a decision. He accepts the job. A month later, they move to L.A. in obedience to the Lord. All right, so what can we conclude about that story? Two things. Number one, the husband was right that God was leading him to L.A. But number two, you can't blame the wife for not wanting him to go. She loves her husband. She doesn't want him to get hurt. It's the same thing right now in our Bibles in Acts chapter 21 concerning Paul wanting to go to Jerusalem. He was right about God leading him. God wanted him to go to Jerusalem, but you can't blame all his Christian friends for not wanting him to go. They loved him. They don't want to see him get hurt, but Paul is dead, set, committed, come hell or high water, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what God wants me to do. Does that make sense to you guys? So I, 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 I took that long to explain that because there are commentators out there that will tell you that Paul is in rebellion against the Lord. And don't you believe that for a minute. All right, so look at verse seven. It says that when we, so Luke and Paul, had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais and we greeted the brothers. Okay, so here's more Christians in yet another city. Can you guys look at me real quick? It's not in the notes, but let me just say this. There's Christians everywhere. It's amazing how fast Christianity spread in the first century. Again, let me ask you the question, how many of you believe people need the Lord as much today as they did 2,000 years ago? And so, hey, let's share the love of Christ with others. Let's do that. Let's be cognizant of that. And some of you, God may call you to leave Port St. Lucie by faith, go to another city, plant a church. If God's calling you to do it, you need to go. You need to get equipped, you need to get educated, and you need to obey the voice of the Lord so that there can be Christians in all the cities of America as we continue to wait for the second coming of Christ. And so in verse seven, they arrive in Ptolemais and greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Verse eight, on the next day we departed and came to, what's the city there? Caesarea on the coast, Caesarea Maritima, not Caesarea Philippi. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. All right, so let's look at, take a look at our map. Again, get our geographical bearings. And so Paul and Luke, they board the ship in Tyre, the city of Tyre, and they head south to Ptolemais. Now, the maps got it a little wrong there. Um, they didn't take horses or donkeys by land. They took a ship, end of verse 6, says they got on a boat, and they sailed from Tyre 25 miles to Ptolemais. Then, either by land or sea, we don't know, the Bible's silent, 
they made their way from Ptolemais down to beautiful Caesarea there on the Mediterranean coast, the Roman capital of Judea. There's a guy in Caesarea who lives there. His name is Philip. The only time the Bible says this, he's called Philip the Evangelist. And so he greets Paul and Luke, invites these two guys into his home. They stay with him for many days. 23 years before where we are in our Bible, Philip was a deacon in the church of Jerusalem. Do you guys remember this? How many of you guys were with us when we started the book of Acts? Let me see your hands. Okay, and so 23 years prior to where we are, Acts 21, hit the reverse button, go all the way to Acts 6. There's Philip. He's one of the seven. He's a deacon in the church of Jerusalem. He's helping widows. Can you guys believe that from Acts 6 to Acts 21, uh, there's already 23 years that have passed by? And those of you who've been with us since the beginning of our study of Acts, it feels like we've been in Acts for 23 years, I know. <laughs> well, nonetheless, we're gonna finish this book, okay? I'm going to Jerusalem, all right? We're gonna get this done. But anyway, um, and so Philip is a deacon in Acts chapter six, and then he does the work of an evangelist. He becomes an evangelist in Acts chapter eight. He leads a bunch of Samaritans to the Lord, and he also leads a guy, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. You remember that story as well. Well, eventually, Philip decides, I'm going to settle down in Caesarea. By the way, I don't blame him. I've been there four times. It's jaw-dropping beautiful. And by the way, we're going to Israel in 14 months. So if you'd like to come, Caesarea is on day one. And we'll take you to all the sites there. We'll show you the archaeological remains of Herod's castle. We'll show you the amphitheater. We'll show you... Um, the pilot, at least the replica, the real things in the museum, but the pilot stone showing archaeologically and historically that a guy named Pilate really did exist 2,000 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. But, but anyway, Philip decides, I'm going to stay here in Caesarea. He gets married. He has, with him and his wife have four daughters, and they remain unmarried for whatever reason, and they are given by the Lord the gift of prophecy. And I just got to say before I move on, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in Philip's house and listen to the conversation between Philip and the Apostle Paul. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? I, I guarantee you that's better than any TV show that you watch in the evenings or I watch. And so I can, I can hear Philip saying, Paul, you have changed. I remember 23 years ago, you were a wild animal persecuting the church, kicking down doors, killing Christians, hauling them off to prison. You made me and a bunch of other people scatter all over. And I scattered to Samaria and I led a bunch of them to Christ. But man, look at you, how you have changed. Wow. How many missionary journeys? How many churches have you planted? Why did Paul change? Was it because Paul was so good? No. The Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The question is, have you changed since you met the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at verse 10. So now they're in Caesarea. They're there for many days, hanging out with Philip and his four unmarried daughters and the rest of the Christian community there. And while staying... For many days, a prophet named Agabus. We saw this guy back in chapter 11 when he gave a prophecy about the great famine. 
So a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Verse 11, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt. Okay, this is not a leather belt with a, a buckle like we would know today. This is a cloth sash, very long. The Jews would wrap it around their robe uh, many times. And so it's coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12. And when we, Luke says, we, me, Philip, his daughters, the rest of the Christians in Caesarea, when we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. It's like, here we go again. Yet another prophecy about the trouble that's waiting for Paul in Jerusalem. But what does Paul do? How does he respond? Does he put his legs, his tail between his legs and run away? Do you guys really think that's Paul? Look at verse 13. Then Paul answered and said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so once again, Paul knew these prophecies, all these prophecies about trouble, they're not prohibitive, they're preparatory. God is not saying don't go to Jerusalem. He's saying, get ready, prepare yourself. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And so since Paul was so adamant to go to Jerusalem, the Christians in Caesarea said, okay, may God's will be done. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm gonna say right now is so, so important. We as Christians have to have a very, very strong desire for God's will to be done in our lives and the lives of others. You and I, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should have a desire in our heart that's so strong where we want God's will to be done in our life and we want God's will to be done in the lives of others no matter what. That we, like the Christians in Caesarea, say, let the Lord's will be done. How did Jesus um, teach us to pray? He said, when you pray, say this, right? Remember this? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And here it is. Your kingdom come. And you guys shout out the next four words. See that? Thy will be done. How many times have you prayed that? How many times have I prayed that? 100, 200, 500, 1,000? Right? We go through the Lord's Prayer in a rote way. But how many of us really mean that? God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the question is, is that our heart's cry? Do we really want God's will to be done in our lives and the lives of others? And so if, if, it, if it's true, if we want God's will to be done, and here's the next question. How do, you know the, how do you know God's will? How in the world can we ever, how in the world can a, a human being ever know what an eternal, infinite God wants that human being to do. 
And so what we're gonna do for the rest of this message is we're gonna apply this now to our lives. And we're gonna answer the question, not completely, but in a pretty good way. We're gonna answer the question, how can we know God's will for our lives? And I wanna start off by saying this. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Before we can know his will, we gotta get to know him. There's no fast shortcuts to this. Before we can know God's will, we got to get to know him. And so when considering the will of God, first of all, we got to consider his person, all right? So if you want to engage in the message for the rest of this time, as we apply this to our lives, here's your first fill in the blank on your note card, God's person. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. And I, what's the word there? No. Do you see that? God is not an it. The Holy Spirit's not an it. God, the Holy Spirit, is a person. The Father is a person. The Son is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the second person of the Trinity, the Good Shepherd, said, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them. I have a relationship with them, and they follow me. And so the way that Paul, the apostle, knew God's will was because he, he belonged to the good shepherd. He was in the flock of the good shepherd and he followed the good shepherd so close. Here, here's what I know about Paul. Man, Paul, here's Jesus, here's Paul. He was like this with the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't you know that when you're hanging out with somebody that close, you hear every word they say. Paul was close to the good shepherd, therefore he heard the voice of Jesus. It started in Acts chapter nine. When he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, on that day, he surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, what would you have me to do? And from that day in chapter nine, all the way till now in chapter 21, here's what I know, that Paul followed Jesus, the good shepherd, step by step, day after day, week after week, year after year. And he got closer and closer and closer to the Lord. In fact, Paul was so close to the Lord. He had such a desire to know the Lord. He said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. In the NIV, and I quote Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. And because he wanted to know Christ, here's what Paul did. He spent the time that was needed to get to know Jesus Christ. The problem, ladies and gentlemen, in our culture today is that we don't want to, as Christians, we don't want to spend the time that's needed to get to know the Lord. We want microwave Christianity. Come on, pastor, just give me three simple steps to know the will of God and hurry it up because I got to go. That's our culture today. That's our Christian culture today. But here's what I want to tell you, that it's a lot more than three simple steps Give me a break. God's will is known in the context of a relationship with him. We come to know him by his grace. And listen to this. Then we walk with him. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy answers. We walk with the Lord step by step, day after day, week after week, year after year. And we get close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're close to the Lord, you hear his voice. 
That's what he promised. My sheep hear my voice. That's a promise of God. God does not want you going through life confused in a fog about what does God want me to do. No. My sheep hear my voice. But here's the problem. Some of you have drifted away. You're so far away from the Lord, you can't hear his voice anymore. And he's trying to tell you what to do. But here's what it's like in your life. It's, here's the Lord. But you can't hear him, can you? You know why? You're so far. Today's the day to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. Today's the day to make a beeline back to the good shepherd. Today's the day to get back like Paul, close to him, so you can hear his voice in a relationship with him. Forget the three simple steps. Forget the microwave Christianity. Make a commitment today that from now to the day I breathe my last breath, I'm gonna know Jesus Christ. It is gonna be the top priority in my life. I'm gonna know him. You'll hear his voice. It won't be audible, probably. I'll explain that in a moment. But when considering the will of God, we also got to consider, number two, his principles. His principles. Isn't it amazing? Almost every message always comes back to this, doesn't it? Your word. By the way, it doesn't say the secular self-help book in Barnes & Noble is a lamp to my... No, no. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many campers do we have in the room? Not not many. How many of you guys, you never go camping. You don't want to go camping. You hate camping. That's me. (laughs) Why? Why would I ever want to sleep on the ground when there's like a four or five star hotel down the road here? with pillow top mattresses and coffee ready for you when you wake up, right? But for you campers, you know, number one rule, bring a flashlight. Because in the middle of the night, if you're my age, it happens at least once every night. (laughs) You gotta get up, you gotta go, you gotta go. And you better have your flashlight, right? Because you don't wanna go out in the woods in the middle of the dark. And so that flashlight or that phone light becomes a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. It's the same thing with God's word. How many of you know we live in a dark, fallen world? How are we going to make it to the end? Right here. Poof. Oh, wow. Your word really is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so what do we need to do? We need to open it. (laughs) We need to read it whether it's the 39 books in the Old Testament or 27 in the New, whether it's the law, the history, the poetry, and the prophets in the Old, right, or the Gospels, Acts, Epistles, and Revelation in the New, whether it's the Ten Commandments in the Old or whether it's the Sermon on the Mount in the New, hey, we gotta get into God's Word. And as I said last week, when we hear, read, meditate, memorize, and apply God's Word, poof, all of a sudden, we're not like confused. We know the way God wants us to go. We got to know his person. We got to get into his principles. 
But when considering the will of God, we also have to consider his peace, his peace. Paul said to the church at Colossae, let the peace of God rule in your heart. That Greek word rule means to be an umpire, to make a decision, to decide. And so I've, I taught this last year. You remember this? Just as an umpire stands behind the batter, right? And there he is. And he says, strike, ball. Or here comes around third base, Shh. safe. Or you're out, right? So the Holy Spirit stands behind us, or better said, lives within us. And through his peace, he reveals his will. And there he is. Yes. No. Wait. Are you crazy? Right? That's what the Lord does. And we let the peace of God rule umpire in our hearts. And I guarantee you, he doesn't yell, he doesn't do this. It's that still small voice. I've shared with you before, the peace of God, so clear, has helped me over the years. The Spirit of God has given me peace about being with Stacy, my wife. June 10th this year, 31 years. I thank God for that. I praise God for that because I, I married way up. You guys know how that is, right? The Holy Spirit has given me peace about planting this church going on 16 years ago. So clear. I knew God wanted me to come. And by the way, I wasn't having devotions down in Jupiter one day, and it said, Mike, go to Port St. Lucie. <laughs> I need the general principles of God's word, but I also need the specific leading of the Holy Spirit in my heart. It was the peace that the Holy Spirit gave me to get my master's degree in theology. I guarantee you, if I didn't know that I know that God wanted me to get that master's degree, I never in a million years would have done that. It's so difficult. You guys who are in school, you know what that means. But when you hear from God, you hear from God. It was the peace of the Holy Spirit that told me, build that Christian school. I thank God for that. I can't wait to see all these little kids, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, getting an excellent education with a strong biblical worldview in a Christ-centered environment, leash them out, let them change their world. So many other areas. And so we need the general principles of God's word, yes, but the Holy Spirit loves you and wants to speak to you specifically through his peace. And then finally, last point, when considering the will of God, we gotta remember God's people. Proverbs says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And so if we think we're hearing from the Lord, but we're not sure, you know, Lord, is that peace or is that pizza from last night? I don't know, <laughs> right? So if we think we're hearing from the Lord, but we're not sure, if we suppose we heard from him, but we need confirmation, we gotta seek the counsel of believers who've been walking with God a lot longer <coughs> than us. Why? because it's in the abundance of counselors that there's safety. And so I'm, I'm so grateful in my life. One of, the big, one of the biggest blessings in my life is the Lord's put around me certain men, mentors in my life. These are men of character. These are men who've been walking with the Lord longer than I. These are men who have my best interests in mind. And when I am struggling with something, I go to them. Confirmation, where I go to them for advice, for counsel. And I can say before God and man, 
that over all these years, these guys, they have never steered me wrong. That's a blessing, man. And so do you have people like that in your life? If not, pray, ask God, send, send me some, some mentors, some counselors, right? People I can go to. Maybe they're in your life group. You say, Pastor, I'm not in a life group. Maybe that's a problem, right? It's not churchianity. Twice a month, come and sit in a row and that's it. It's Christianity. It's disciples making disciples and that entails small groups. And maybe that mentor is in your life group. Maybe, maybe that mentor is on your ministry team. You say, Pastor, I don't serve in this local church. Maybe that's something you need to do in 2000 and what year are we in? 20, thank you. Maybe you need to join a ministry team, make some friends, start serving the Lord in this local church. And you'll see there's some people who've been walking with the Lord a lot longer than you, and you can bounce stuff off of them. Or maybe it's in your own family. Some of you guys are blessed with a natural family, and there's people in your natural family, and man, they're wise. Go to them. Talk to them. And so how do we know God's will? By way of review, God's person. Get to know Jesus, God's principles. As I said last week, hear, read, meditate, memorize, apply God's word. God's peace, let the Holy Spirit umpire and rule in your heart. And God's people, have those people that you can trust and talk to. Last two verses, no commentary, and then we'll be done. Verse 15, after these days we got ready Luke says, me and Paul, we got ready up in Caesarea and we went up to, what's the city? End of, end of verse 15. Jerusalem, they're going, get on their horses or their donkeys, making that 65 mile trip to Jerusalem. Verse 16, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. And that, ladies and gentlemen, ends Paul's third missionary journey. Next week, he's gonna be in Jerusalem and guess what's gonna happen to Paul? Lots of trouble. And so we'll talk about that next week.